We live. We back in the we back in the building. We live. <laughs> I should start my podcast with that. Yo, that's we the intro right there. Yo, we live. That's what I need to do. I might put that at the intro actually for you for this episode. Yeah, come on. I got you. <laughs> yeah, it's your boy Ray Ray on the mic. Let's go. Mic check, mic check. Welcome to On The Mic with Ray White, where we share life lessons, encourage self-reflection, and equip you to take action. My name is Ray White, and I am juiced that you're taking the time to listen to this episode today. And I ain't gonna say it no more, man, but you know I'm gonna say it one more time. We got another fire interview. My main man, Spencer Britton, hops onto the mic, and he does a phenomenal job of tracking his time as a college football player and how that plays a role in the way that he does his current job today as an education sales consultant in the northern california area and i'm super excited just to have his story shared onto the podcast because you hear a lot about just some of the lessons that he's pulled from his college days how it plays a factor in his work as well as his family life and just the importance of being so attentive to the details today because of how well they will set you up for greater success in the future and and beyond to just Spencer Britton sharing his story we got a special guest on the podcast as well his daughter will hop on you'll hear a little bit of her on the towards the end of the podcast and she does a great job of of making her presence known on the episode I'll be sure to drop Spencer's social media links on in the show notes so you can make sure you follow him and track his jokes and his learning and his lessons on social media but i as always will love for you to take a screenshot tag me and spencer in it and tell me what is the lesson that you've learned that you've pulled from this episode so that we can go ahead and share that on all the social media platforms but you know me man i don't want to take too much of your time let's go ahead and dive on to this episode titled attention to detail featuring spencer britton Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of On The Mic with Ray White. I am super excited to have another great friend on the podcast. Uh, dope dude that we got connected long time ago at Willamette University. Actually, you were on my recruiting trip. Uh, I don't know I if you know what. Yeah, we were on the same recruiting trip and everything. We'll get to that anyway. But hey, oh, I'm yeah. super excited to have a good friend share his story from college all the way to what he's doing now uh, in the education and fatherhood and life in general. Welcome to the mic, Spencer Britton, SB88. My man, how you doing? Man, I am hanging in there right now as you <laughs> as you all are, as you all are experiencing difficulties of sheltering in place, yeah. quarantining, uh, distance learning with your kids and, and all this good stuff. So it's a, it's a challenge, but I'm discovering a lot about myself and about my family and things like that. So there's some positives to be taken from it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, man. Uh, before we hit record, you mentioned a lot of reflecting that you're doing. As you know me, I love to reflect and love the opportunity to have you share a lot of the reflections that you are going through, especially now uh, in what you've gone through in life. Before we get to that point, uh, I do want you to share uh, 
this question I've been asking all of our guests, and this question essentially is the anchor, if you will, to track just how your story progressed or manifests through this phrase. And so uh, if you would, please uh -huh. give a sentence of how you would articulate your mantra or your mission in life. Ooh, one sentence? Mm -hmm. So anybody who knows me knows that I don't, I don't ever give one sentence. This is at least a 10-minute dialogue. <laughs> you can unpack this. This is a sermon. No. Um, one sentence. Can you repeat it one more time? Hold on. Yeah, man. Give me a sentence. Wrap my brain around this. How would you articulate your mantra or your mission in life? Okay. I, and I've kind of recently discovered this, but I think that my mission in life has been um, in short, um, a counselor to many. And what I mean is by that, and here goes me kind of taking it from one sentence. What I mean by that in short is that um, across my entire adult life, I've always been um, the type of person who has been told that I'm wise beyond my years in that I've just been able to give good advice and good support and listen and, you know, to my friends and my family and colleagues and even people that I've, you know, just met to just uplift and, um, and, you know, just provide solid guidance for. So I've always felt like I've had a calling for that. That's what I would say. My mission is, is to just help as many people as I can. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Like I mentioned, I love to see how that manifests itself. And as you share your story and the work that you're doing and how you are helping others um, in the education space and at home. Uh, but before we get there, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, you and I were in, we were in the same recruiting class at Willamette University. You play football there. Actually, for the listeners, uh, Spencer got an opportunity to share just a tidbit of that, of his journey to Willamette on a previous episode with the fellas, uh, with the Mikey and Bubba, which is another hilarious uh, group podcast. Black Highlighter Boys. <laughs> uh, I'll make sure Who, how do you even have a black highlighter? Like, I don't even understand. Like, that doesn't no. mean you can't highlight something in black. Talk to Bubba, man. He's the one that made up that, that line. <laughs> it's pretty Bubba-ish. I don't Definitely know. a Bubba line. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure to link that episode in the show notes. But this is your time to shine, man. I would love to have, yeah. as we talk about the glory days, as we talk about those days at Willamette and playing football there, uh, just tell us. Uh, actually, how you even got to Willamette? Um, okay. I know you mentioned a little bit, but I want, you know, this is your time now. So how did you get to Willamette? How'd you hear about it? And then we'll start talk about some highlights that you gathered while playing football there. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, we did have our recruiting trip. I don't remember you being on my recruiting trip, but I'll get to that. The reason why I don't remember. I remember but... because you had the curls. That's all I remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got them back now. Uh, uh, come on. No. <laughs> this is not by choice. This is this is COVID-19 hairstyle right here. That COVID do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, um, how I my journey to Willamette. Um, I I wanted to play college football for a long, long time um, since I was in Pop Warner. And I excelled at football and basketball through Pop Warner um, and all the way like through middle school, all the way up into high school. But the issue was 
I couldn't stay on the basketball team or the football team. And not a lot of people know this. I couldn't stay past when, when citizenship grades came out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember when you used to get citizenship grades where you would get a grade and then you would get like a citizenship grade that was like on the side. Anyway, I don't want to go off on a separate tangent, but, <clears throat> but um, the only team I could end up staying on was football because it ended before citizenship grades came on. So basketball, I would start the season off, and then I would get kicked off the team because I, I, I just never, I was just never really good in school. I was good in school grade-wise, but not citizenship-wise, unfortunately. So I ended up being for, football. Ended up being my sport that I continued through high school. Um, I went to private school, and I excelled in my sophomore and junior year. I did really, really well at the running back, running back position, mm-hmm. and in my senior year. My coach um, switched me to the wide receiver position while still kind of playing running back. And my junior year, I had a lot of a lot of recruiters visiting the school. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of recruiters. And my coach used to play in the NFL, so he had a lot of connections. Mm-hmm. So, um, in the end, the way it shook down is my senior year wasn't as great as my my sophomore and junior year. Um, and um, you know, partly because I switched positions, but I ended up shaking down to basically either getting a walk-on opportunity at Sac State or a scholarship for Weber State or playing at Willamette or Puget Sound. Mm-hmm. So I visited all those different places. And as I mentioned in the other episode, um, I, Willamette was my last stop. And Mike Plank, who was a former um, alum of Willamette who lived in Stockton where I attended school, approached my parents, he approached my coach, and I wasn't having it. I was like, well, I'm a what? Willa who? And I, and I, and I literally was like, I don't want to go. There's like 10 people at that school. Like I was dogging Willamette, right? Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, my mom was like, why don't you just go and visit? Like they basically made me go. And, and so I went and it ended up being like the biggest like family like atmosphere. Like it, it won me over completely just with the atmosphere of the players and how well bonded they were and and the family like just aura about it just really really won me over and and i chose to go to willamette i could have went to weber state and who knows what would have happened right you know who knows if i would have been on the team and and still you know had a scholarship going through my sophomore year junior year or whatever right Mm -hmm. um but i'm glad i'm so glad i ended up going to willamette um i ended up getting, you know, amazing friends in, you know, the Black Highlighter Boys, you know, Mikey, Ray, and Bubba, these are, you know, lifetime friendships. Um, but yeah, you know, that was kind of my path. I, I can remember, I can remember um, that I got really sick on my recruiting trip. Mm. Uh, and that was the, that was what I was, oh, I always laughed. I laughed when you said you were on my recruiting trip because I literally don't remember a ton of it because I got, um, I have a, like a nut allergy and I got super sick and they had to give me like, an, like, like antibiotics and like Vicodin and all this stuff. And I was like high off Vicodin like the whole recruiting trip. And all I could remember was after the first, the first day, I go, I, I'm, fresh, I'm, I'm in high school or whatever. I go to the hospital, I get out of the hospital, I go over to one of the players who I won't name, his house and they're having this huge party. And as soon as I walk in, I get handled a whole, I handed a whole bottle of Hennessy and they were like, Hey, finish this. <laughs> and I, not to mention I was 
gone off of Vicodin. Right. So, you know, I don't remember a lot because of that. Then I wake up the next morning and I have meetings with coaches. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the meeting with Coach Speck and I'm legit falling asleep. Like, I'm asleep and I hear my parents go, yeah, we're so sorry. You know, he he's on. You know, he has to take the vitamin because of the allergic reaction that he had. Everybody knew about it. Like everybody knew what had happened. Everybody knew that I got sick and everything like that. And he just went on. Um, you know, I was falling asleep at Val's meeting, and I was just like, I was done. Which is so funny because when I think back on it, it's super ironic because it kind of paints the picture for how things went with football the rest of the way. But, um, but yeah, so that, that was my journey. That was my journey to, um, to Willamette. That's hilarious. I don't think I knew about the nut allergy thing. I definitely didn't. And yeah. I, you might, I'm sure you said it before. Um, I probably never told you guys. But yeah, that, I've never, I don't remember that, but that's wild. It's, it's just walnuts and, 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 and any raw, like if it's, a, if it's raw nuts, I have a, a bad reaction to it, but walnuts specifically will potentially send me to the hospital. That's crazy. That's crazy. I, yeah. Wow. So, so then, yeah, like falling asleep and all mm-hmm. on the the drugs and other stuff. You know, <laughs> still made the decision to come to Willamette, which is you know, I can still make, made the decision. You got you got the opportunity to you know get an education and lifelong friends again. We've been friends <laughs> for quite some time. Um, yeah. You, I do, you know, you made a comment just briefly about how things didn't really shake out the way that you wanted to in the sport and football and whatnot. And we'll get to that. But yeah. if you had in just any other highlights, and especially the ones that you remember the most when it comes to uh, being on the field and, and playing in the game. You know, when I think of football at Willamette, I think of a lot of the lessons that I learned, which, which as you mentioned, we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of life lessons that I learned, but I want to say that the highlight of being on the field every day, every practice was just um, working my butt off to just, I mean, just going so, so hard, as hard as I could in every aspect, scouts, whatever, mm-hmm. and and just finding my because I didn't play a lot in the games, you know, finding that, that platform, that arena as my, as my, um, you know, my game there, you know? So, you know, I caught a lot of flack from other players and stuff for how hard I went on scouts, but I mean, that was just, that was where I contributed to the team. And I felt like I contributed to the W's we were putting up. Yeah. Um, But just being around my friends and playing a sport that we love, being around you, Mikey, Bubba, competing, talking trash, joking in the locker room. I think our friendships were forged in that locker room, you yeah. know, and you know, storytelling and, and getting around and just creating a brothership. Um, those are some of the highlights and, and memories that I'll have um, for the rest of my life. Um, and, you know, me, I'm a clown. So naturally, you know, I was, I just, I remember all the times of us just clowning middle practice me doing stupid stuff to you like I, that was probably the majority of the thing because we were always in the receiver lines together doing things and i would either say something or i'd do something and then you know and make you laugh or whatever but uh yeah that was those are the memories man um the highlights um you know that i could take i can draw back 
but I really look back on football, the, for the most part, I really look back on football with Lamont as a huge learning, uh, a huge lesson, like life lesson learning experience for me. Uh, and some of the things that I could have done um, and some of the things that I could have listened to and, and I probably would have had more success at Willamette, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you talk about <laughs> just the stupid stuff we were doing <laughs> on the field. But yet, oh you're right. Like, I definitely do. I miss that a lot. I miss the camaraderie. I miss the locker room. I miss the just the time out there with friends and that, you know, we were there for hours, like part-time job, essentially. Uh, but we were going, growing closer together towards a common goal, which was amazing. And I know that there's one memory that you often, you used to share, I know you still do share, but in scouts where um, I was a corner for the punt return and you was the gunner. Oh, man. <laughs> and how you shook me Ooh, man. out my ankles, out my knees. <laughs> Pretty bad. Oh, bro, I gave you the business, though. I remember the move and everything. <laughs> And all I remember was a ho ho. <laughs> and I looked back he was on the ground. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah, ah I that, that was hilarious, dude. That was such <laughs> I can't I can't believe I forgot about that one. Yeah. Because oh dude, that's so funny, man. <laughs> so funny. Well, I used to I'm telling you, the corners on on first team d would be there would be like there would be times where like they wouldn't even they would blow their assignments just to hit me in the mouth <laughs> because like while everybody else like for example if it was a run play everybody else would run just just jog off the ball mm -hmm. whatever right in my mind someone had someone told me my freshman year when i was on scout team and I wasn't happy about being on scout team. They told me they were like, just use that opportunity when you're, you know, when, you know, to run your routes, to practice your routes. So damn, I was running a go route corner. Uh, I was dude, and they would have to run with me or they would look stupid on film. When you go back and look at film, like, hey, what that guys were actually running a route. So I was going hard every single play from my freshman year to my senior year, dude. Every single time. Um, and part of it, by the time I hit my junior year and senior year, was I was just mad because I was still on scouts. So I was just like, mm -hmm. all right, all right, let's do it, yeah. you know, but. So you mentioned a little bit about how, you know, I actually want to hear a couple of the lessons that you've learned while playing at Willamette, because like you said, it didn't shake out the way that you wanted it to. And I, I get that. I understand that for myself as well. Um, but yeah, what are, what are like the two to three lessons that you, as you sit back and you can like encapsulate, um, that you learn playing ball? there and on the field I could sum it up and then explain but basically to sum it up in one phrase is my coach when I was in high school he was tough as nails on me he always trying to toughen me up and one of the things that he said is I would always get told that I have a lot of potential hmm. and he would tell me and I'm going to say it forgive my French but he would say Potential just means you ain't done shit yet. Hmm. So you would tell me, right? And I never fully sunk in until, um, until I started reflecting on my time at Willamette and I had a ton of potential. 
like I I felt like I had the I had the talent to compete and to be in in um you know in first team. As a matter of fact, I got pulled up to first team several times mm-hmm. and I had the opportunity, I had tons of opportunities, but it was squandered by my lack of attention to detail, the little things that I could have done to be to go from having potential to actually doing it. Um, the little things like we had non-mandatory film every day at lunchtime. Every day people would grab their lunches and they would go to the film and do film. It was non-mandatory, but I didn't pick up until my maybe like late my junior season that it was only called non-mandatory because of regulations by the NCAA. But really, you were supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. And I would never get it, too, because I would be sitting there and film and um, my my sophomore year and beginning of my junior year, and they'd be like, if you were at film today, you would have known, you know, we went over a play that you did where blah, 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 blah. Hmm. And and I was like, oh well, you know, it's not magic. I didn't really know people went right, and then I picked up on it. But I picked up on it late. It was a lot of things I picked up on it late. I came in my freshman year, and I had this hardworking attitude about me, and I actually made it to the traveling squad when we traveled to Whitworth. Yeah. And and a lot of second year and third year guys did not make that list. I was in a good place with um with uh with uh the the coaches but then when I got there we had an assignment that we were supposed to do that I didn't do and turn in Mm -hmm. we um I I can't never forget this we're at Whitworth big game Whitworth had just won the conference Mm -hmm. shot Scott shotgun our number one wide receiver had brought have forgotten his pads, his shoulder pads. I'll never forget this. I know that this was a pivotal, cha- pivotal changing point in my career, my, my freshman year. And he forgot his pads. I was the only freshman there, I think, wide receiver there. I think, did you make that trip, Ray? I was there too. Okay, so you were there too. Yeah. So they, I mean, they knew I probably wasn't really going to play that much, but I was there. Um, and Scott came up to me and he said, and the coaches, I bet, told him to do this. But it didn't click. Now it clicks. And it's like I'm kick, I kick myself later, right? Yeah. I said, hey, dude, I forgot my shoulder pads. They're going to make me wear these lineman shoulder pads. Remember that. Um, and these are ugly, dude. They were the ones that had, like, the – Big old. Right? right? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, and he said, can I wear your shoulder pads for the game? And he was actually going to be playing in the game. Our star, one of our star players. And me being so consumed with how I was going to look and not – with, hey, I should help this teammate out. I was like, nah, dude. Mm. And I'm like, man, that was so bad taste. Like, it was so terrible for me to do that. And the coaches at that point were like, wait, what? He said he wouldn't give his pads to you? Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it just doesn't gain favor. And, you know, at that point, when you're trying to make an impression, when you're trying trying to dig in, that's already getting off the wrong, on the the wrong foot. Mm. Um, You know, off-season workouts. I mean, I'm just, this is me being completely transparent. Mm-hmm. I, I had a job in the off season. So I was working, I wasn't, I was working in sales. I wasn't doing off season training like I was supposed to. I was still weightlifting, running, but I wasn't following the book. And I know people that were following the book. 
Like mm -hmm. they were going and they were doing the workouts on the days and I wasn't committed enough. And I thought I could just show up and be like, Oh, I'm a junior now. I'm good. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be on, you know, I, I thought I could just do it. Right. And for the most part, I would, I would still have opportunities, but I can only imagine if I really, really apply myself to learning the playbook the way I needed to learn it. I didn't learn the playbook the way I needed to learn it until like the end of my sophomore year, beginning of my junior year where I really knew it. Mm -hmm. But there were people like you, you knew the playbook by the time we were, we hit season mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and you were well-versed. I still was struggling with the formations, but that was because I didn't put the time in the study. When we were in the off season, when we were planning in camp, I would be, in camp but then after i wanted to see where the hunnings was at i wanted to go see you know what i mean like i wanted to do all these things and i didn't pick which and it followed me through not just in football but throughout college mm. like i i know you know that i that from my junior year on i had to take five classes in order to graduate because i didn't really know that if you dropped two classes every year that you were going to be behind right on credits and you weren't gonna be able to graduate because I dropped a boatload of classes as soon as I decided that it that it was a little too hard I didn't like it hmm. I dropped the classes dude yeah so it was just little things dude and then I didn't know that coaches find out when you drop classes mm -hmm. and then Speck was like hey why did you drop two classes what do you mean you only got two class card you know workload just little things dude over and over again and it came down to my senior year I was on first team. I was getting reps, everything. And, and I was doing good. I was doing really good. And you could tell that, like, I knew my stuff. You could tell they wanted to, they did everything they could to keep me up there. But by like the second or third grade game, they were fed up with me showing up two, three minutes late to walkthroughs, hmm. you know, walking, cruising in, you know, just, just little stuff. And then from there on, they just were like, dude, you're, you're done scout, whatever. Right. So I just squandered a lot of opportunities. And then now that translates over to my life. Now I think about, okay, I need to do little things mm. and then work and work. Now when I'm doing, when I'm in sales, I, I, I need to, I, I know myself. So I'm like, I need to do little things. I need to, um, you know, I need to prepare. I need to like read, like, like learn in my playbook. I need to know my product. Right. Um, I need to go that extra mile. I need to put in the extra time if I want to have success. And I need to be on time. And I need, there's so many different lessons that I pulled from that failure, that experience, that in the moment I was like, man, how come I can't, how come I can't do this? I was young. But then when I look back on it, I'm like, dude, these are patterns of behavior that even probably that, 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 that were there in high school and then just got amplified as I got into college. Yeah. Yeah. Attention to detail. That's a big one. That is a little big, things, dude. Little things that you can find. And, and I, I agree with you, like, if you were to look back, sure, hindsight 2020, there are those many things you would do differently. Um, and it's just one of those things where, you know, which we'll get to, which will provide some advice, which you're already given, but advice for the next generation. But it's just like one of those things where it's like, okay, so how do you prepare other people who are in that similar state to not squander or not, not, not necessarily squander, but like take, take some of those things a little bit more seriously like actually put forth the effort and not just think like you said by showing up because I get it too like you think you could show up because you're an athlete and you've done it before that's going to do replicate itself and do it again uh, but that's not always the case and that's not always going to happen and uh, go in your favor so 
you got to put the 110% in every time that you get the chance to do it. Um, yep. Cause you don't know when that experience is going to go away again, or you won't get it back, you know? Um, right. Yeah. That's a good lesson, man. That's a good lesson. You, uh, you shared, you got to talk a little bit about sales, which we, at the top of the podcast, we talked a little bit about how you're doing sales and stuff like that. So yeah, you graduated, um, you know, you, sales has been a part of your background as long as I've known you, your enterprise, yeah. you know, you, you've, you've been selling all kinds of stuff, all, all that I know. All you. I've ever done, man. What are you, yeah, what is the work that you're currently doing now? And how did you even get that position? How did you get that job? So what I do now is I'm an educational sales consultant for a company that publishes curriculum, a supplemental curriculum for, for school districts. Right. Uh, just to and professional development. So providing solutions for schools that are struggling in any specific area. Every school district has an area that they are targeting in any given year. Um, and they publish those on documents, plans. So my job is to go in and learn about those and then get in front of the people that make the decisions to provide and then ask questions and and then provide solutions. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been doing that for, this is my third year doing that. And um, and I had a, a ton of success in it. Um, um, and I've had a ton of success in sales um, from the beginning. Um, I came about this position when I was in college, I started selling timeshares in the summer and <laughs> in the winter time. That's right, I remember that. <laughs> Do you remember, bro? I would, I kid you not, Ray. I would come to, I would come back from summer mm -hmm. with ten to fifteen thousand dollars in my bank account. I don't remember that. I don't think you were flaunting it like that. I mean, I believe, Ray, but I don't think you were like sharing. Do you not remember, bro? I would get to college and I would take me and Spencer Clemmer's shopping for, for a new wardrobe. And we would, I would blow all $10,000 by the end of the school year, bro. All of it. I will blow. Dude, I was taking, I was getting girls oil changes on their cars. <laughs> I'll never forget, dude. There was this girl, I won't say her name, but she was fly, dude. She was fly. And, and, and I thought I loved her or whatever. And she wasn't really feeling me like that. But, bro, I took her to get her oil change at Oil Can Henry's for like 120 bucks. I was going, dude, you remember we would go to dinner all the time, bro. And I'd be like, I got it. Yeah. And we would go to, do, I would tell, and it wasn't like we was going to McGrath's Fish House. We was going to, remember when I was roommates with Rob? We was going to Love's Teriyaki. I was going to Best Buy. I had a flat screen TV. We had beer pong tables. We was buying 30, 40 packs of beer every week. Mm -hmm. Dude, it adds up. I was, I tell you, I was, I was coming in with 10 to 15 grand in the bank, dude, in the bank. And I was just blowing it, dude, for on just foolish stuff. I don't even know. I don't even know why. I, I just imagine if I'd have taken that money or half of that and put it towards my tuition or whatever. Stock. Dude, I was blowing stock. <laughs> just stock. investing in some way, which obviously, you know, you having fun. Netflix. But, but like, yeah, I, you know, I didn't ask questions. 
Because I'm not, you know, I, I'm not yeah. going to pay expense. Where you I was, you know, you're home. right. I wasn't flaunting it. Dude. I wasn't telling people I had that kind of money. I was right. just spending it. Yeah, you I didn't even really, it was so easy for me to get it. Like I was getting it so easy. I was, I, I lucked in and I found this job on Craigslist of all places. Hmm. I lucked into a job that people were doing to support their whole family. And then to boot, I was really good at it, dude. Like, I, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I was, I was only doing it. So from my sophomore for three years, sophomore, junior, and senior year, I was only doing it during the summer and Christmas break. And I would finish in the top tens in the whole company in sales. Wow. Just doing it for three and a half months in the summer and like a month in the winter time. I was leading, the, I was in the top 10 in the whole company for sales. Just, I mean, so I was making bank Yeah. to the point where I had residuals that were hitting in while I was in school so I would be I would be in school and then all of a sudden I would get I would look at my bank and I'd be like oh shoot I got or my dad would hit me up and be like hey you got check in the mail for you know two thousand dollars I'm like what <laughs> put it in my bank throw it in the bank like what? I was just getting and I would get like a bunch like I would get a quarterly residual checks so every quarter I would get a residual check from whatever I was doing and I was just like dang you know I made I, you know I made whatever I made you know over dude over the summer so i was again i was coming i was i was taking girls on a lavish date dude. <laughs> lavish you remember i put rims on my uh, on my on my on my on the civic and i put a system in the back yeah that month i sold that and then i came back with a new car put rims on that system in that i was just blowing it dude i wasn't even negotiating the price on them bad boys i was just like oh what is it okay i got it I got it right. Like I just was doing. I don't know what I would do. Dude, I that's just, wild. That's wild. Yeah, I, like, I'm with I, it. I didn't ask any questions. Your your boy came. You came through with all this stuff. You know, buying all these things. I'm like, yeah, I deal. Spence making it rain. Spence coming from stuff. I'm not gonna ask no questions. How he get yeah. acquiring it? Uh, am <laughs> I dealing? Whatever. But no, I do. Remember, I do know sales was definitely something that you. I mean, that's that's a gift that you have. Like you're really yeah. strong in sales and. Uh, you try to rope me into doing those surveys. I remember you doing those for days. I was doing those for a minute. I was always looking for little hustles. All the hustles. How did how did yeah. sales like? Where did that come from? Like just that desire, passion to do sales and do it well. Like how did that manifest itself? I was. It was I think it was just always has been in me, dude. I've always had this like ability to talk my way out of anything. You don't know how <laughs> many fights, but you don't know how many fights I've talked myself out of, dude. I've talked myself out of more fights than I've actually been in. Wow. And, and, and then like, there would be like, whenever I wanted to do something with my parents, I can remember verbatim that my dad used to have this speaker set that he got in Germany when he was in the army and it was down in the garage. <clears throat> and I wanted these speakers because at that point that was when like 106 and park was out mm -hmm. and everybody was just like all about the music. Right. And and I was like, you know, I asked my dad, and he's like, nah, you ain't putting that up in your room and blasting music, so on and so forth. I kid you not, I drew this dude a diagram and gave him a sales presentation on why I should have it in my room. And he was so proud that he gave me the speakers. Wow. And I blew them, bro. I blew the speakers out. <laughs> I, blew, I blew them sons of guns out. I blew them out. That's wild, bro. That's wild. So it's just always been there. And I, so I did, I, I did the, the timeshare deer deal for a while. And then I ended up moving to enterprise because there was no, there's no movement in the timeshare. It was just like, I, it was stagnant. 
I went to Enterprise and I promoted in three months to an area car sales manager. And I started our, uh, yeah, a territory car sales manager. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then a senior territory car sales manager. Um, and I, I blew up there, dude. I sold my first year, I sold 145 cars. I was rookie of the year. Second year, I sold 188, and the third year, I sold 205 cars in one year. I was then I was making just buku dollars, but I was working like 80 hours, like six, 70 on a on a good week. I worked 65 hours. Oh my gosh! And then I had kids come in and and everything like that. So um, my life work life balance was I did I would there would be often there would there wouldn't be a week where at least two of the days I wouldn't get off at midnight. Mm-hmm. because I was doing things like, oh, you, you can't come, you live how far away you can't come in? I'll bring the car to you with paperwork. Like, and I was driving out three hours to people that was hustling. I was making good money, but after a while, it just took my, took its toll on me. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Good. And I left that. I went to pharmaceutical sales. I failed at pharmaceutical sales miserably. Huh. It's not the same. It's not, it's not transactional sales. It's more of a, Whoever buys my staff the best lunch is whose prescription I'm gonna write. So I'm a, I'm taking shots at the pharmaceutical industry is corrupt. Um, sorry if you work in pharmaceuticals or whatever, but if you do, you know that when a doctor writes a prescription, it's not based off of pharmacological efficacy. It's mm-hmm. based off of whoever I like as a doctor, and. And it's, and it's not, I'm not saying all doctors do this, but I'm just saying like, there's a lot of it that goes on. There's a lot of money that's exchanged behind the scenes. There's a lot of loopholes and things that go on that are ethical. And, and uh, yeah, I left pharmaceuticals and I ended up where I'm at now. And I've had, um, you know, I've been in the million dollar club twice. Mm. Uh, I, I uh, led the company in average growth over, year over year and um i'm just having a ton of success in sales um, it's a love-hate relationship though <laughs> what do you hate about it that's what i want to get to what do you hate about sales why, why does it love three things okay. i hate that every year you start all over oh, so you, you start all over from scratch every year i hate that success is 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 metered on a super temper it's a i hate the what have you done for me lately I hate, I hate that I can, I can have four years of consistent success and then I can have three months of, um, of, you know, a downturn and all of a sudden I am, uh, you know, labeled as a terrible salesperson or, or not, you know, not competent and so on and so forth. I I hate that part. And I envy sometimes people that can just go to work and do a job that, and, and this is your job. This is what you do. You work from nine to five, you do this. If you do this, good. And if you go above that, you might get a promotion. If you do this good, you keep your job, you do, you know, you consistently, boom, boom, boom. Um, and in sales, it's not like that. It's ever changing. The markets are ever changing. You have to deal with, you have to pivot. Every month can be different. You have to keep, and it's, it, gets, it gets tiring sometimes, and then when you have those low points, you hate it. But then when you have those high points, you're making more money than anybody else is making with less stress. Um, so it's, just, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, yeah. a, it's a, like I said, it's an up and down, peaks and valleys. Yeah, I can imagine 
yes, the, the sales life is rough. It, it can be the highs of highs, like you stated before we get on, like we got yeah. on board, you can be killing it quarter yeah. after quarter <laughs> and in demand and you, you know, bringing in all kinds of money for yourself and the company. But then, yeah, you get a couple low spots and you look a little, people look at you a little different and that can be, that can be yep. really hard on your, your, your ego, your identity, you know, your just mindset when, when it comes to uh, making a sale or staying in sales. So Spence, you mentioned that there are a lot of highs and lows when it comes to being a salesman. And, and I would imagine that the ego, the identity, your mindset is often just all over the place when it comes to just the seasons, the highs and lows, when it comes to it, how do you maintain your mind, your, um, your mindset and your identity while in the highs of highs and lows of lows of sales? Dude, you know, that is a great question. And and it's something that I've struggled with. What comes along the territories that are the, the territory of sales. And I've seen many, many salespeople, good salespeople go through this is, super high anxiety, depression, um, you know, doubting yourself, um, all these things, there's this inner voice when you're a salesperson and a lot, and a lot of people will tell you the inner voice is, is, is what drives you, which it is. But the, 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 the flip side of that is when you're not doing good, that inner voice tells you that you aren't diddly crap sometimes, Mm -hmm. or you've lost it or, the cells that you got in the past are fluke. So as far as like maintaining my identity, <clears throat> there's two parts to it. One of those is staying humble. Because what you can do is if you're killing it in sales, you can get to a point where you're not realizing that sales is all about peaks and valleys. And you just have to try and work to maintain your peaks or make your valleys as high as other people's peaks basically Hmm. so when you're struggling you're still at a position or a point where you're still above the benchmark Mm -hmm. um but at the same time it's 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 that's not it's easier said than done and you're gonna have those areas those times when you struggle and that's when doubt creeps in that's when depression creeps in and that's why i lean heavy on my faith during times of, of struggle with sales um you know realizing that 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 the lord is where my help comes from mm-hmm. um that i can lean on him <clears throat> and i'm not gonna lie there's times where i just i'm filled with doubt and like man i don't know if he's gonna come through for me this time but always dude always it might take longer than i thought but always something comes up to the point where i know this guy's fingerprints all over it you know so that has been my saving grace through tons of transitions in my career from one sales position to another sales position, uncertainty, peaks and valleys. The one constant is leaning heavy on my faith. And just, I, I find that those times are the times where I get closest to, to, to God, which is, I mean, it sounds bad, but sometimes I even think that those are the times when um, those are the times when, you know, those times happen sometimes for a reason, because maybe I'm getting out of pocket and I'm getting too cocky or I'm getting too prideful. And those might be way, ways where God says, Hey, let me bring you back down to earth. Let's learn something from this. Um, and, and, and I, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's how I try and maintain my identity 
Yeah. And, you know, throughout. I love it. Heavy on my faith. I love it. Humility and faith, man. Those are two big things. And, you know, we tied that to the attention to detail comment that you made earlier. Like, yeah. I definitely see how, you know, in the sales world, you, you need to have those elements really uh, keen to who you are and how you respond and how you react. But then also, like, I see some parallels, too, as we kind of talked a little bit about how that ties to what it's like to be an athlete or be a, a student in school or whatever. Like, you got to be able to maintain, uh, understand all the details and all the ways in which that you should respond well to see success. Um, and then even if you achieve success, to be able to stay humble in that space because um, the valley will come. <laughs> and then while you're yeah. in that valley and while you're in the lows, how you maintain the faith and believe that, uh, you know, all things work together for good, as well as knowing that you are not the failures or, or the things in which that are happening around you. Like you're bigger than that. You're more than that too. Um, and that, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I can see that being a constant reminder that you have to have in, in sales on the field or wherever you are in life to, to maintain that perspective, man. So that's good. That's really good. Yep. No, I agree with you, dude. So what I'm interested in, because I'm, I'm going to be vulnerable on the podcast like I haven't been. I'm like, Ooh. vulnerable. <laughs> Ooh. I, uh, I suck at sales, man. I'm not a good salesman. Uh, I remember being <laughs> recruited by, uh, was it Cutco? Years ago. Ooh, yeah. That's a bad example, bro. <laughs> I didn't, that I didn't is a bad example. Through. I didn't follow through with Cutco. I didn't follow. That's a pyramid, dude. That's different. Transamerica. Uh, that's a pyramid that's different uh i get hit up a whole bunch of pyramids i did you know yeah we're just gonna bypass that uh i did best buy <sighs> six weeks you know okay so that's a legit one um okay. regardless sales doesn't really feel like it's for me however i re i see the value in it like there's value in learning sales and learning the things like that so by you being the subject matter expert in sales today uh, uh -huh. in the person i know and i'm like all right this man is killing it in the sales i mean big balling in college what are the three things that, for me, speaking to me now, that I would need to know in order to be good at sales? So to give advice, there's going to be a lot of generic answers that most people are going to throw out, and they're 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 accurate, like product knowledge, um, you know, <clears throat> attention to detail as well. Um, you know, there's there's going to be those certain things that that people are going to throw out there. Uh, then there's going to be some intangibles that people have that you're just, you're just given, you know, there's certain people that step that people just migrate to that people, you know, that are good listeners that people like to talk to that just naturally do that. <clears throat> but then there's certain pieces that you can um, learn and, and, and mold. And, and the two that I want to say are in, that go hand in hand are integrity mm. and, and more and more that's where sales is going now. It wasn't so much in the past, but integrity focused, integrity driven sales are, 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 is the quality that you're going to have. That's going to sustain your sales. You can get sales very easily, quickly by manipulating yourself your way into situations and being a good manipulator, which part of sales is being able to manipulate things to your advantage. But if you can do that with integrity, meaning you're honest, 
meaning that you are first thinking, how can I help this person and not how can I get this person or how can I get more money out of this person? Integrity driven sales are what build those long lasting customers, those long lasting relationships. And I didn't learn that really, honestly, in timeshare sales. I didn't learn that in car sales. I learned it a little bit in car sales, but I really learned it in this, in this business that I'm in now because these aren't one-time sales. I might close a million dollars with blah, blah district, mm-hmm. or I might close $40,000 with blah, blah, blah district, right? And then I might continue that relationship and that might transfer over to a different department of that district where the next year I close 100,000 and then so on and so forth. And that relationship fosters over time to where I'm that go-to person for that district. And also, you know, I've even had situations where I have um, been labeled as providing what's called Nordstrom level service, Hmm. where I had a connection in a district where a person was at a lesser position. They purchased what they could from me then, and then they got promoted to top dog at a different district. And then I was still in that position. And then I got a million or whatever. Right. So, so I would say integrity sales is huge. Uh, what goes hand in hand with that is just relationship-based sales. Even if you're in a transition, transactional atmosphere with your sales and you aren't gonna see your customer multiple times in a year. I know guys that were in car sales and when a car sale, you sell a car once and you might see that person in two years or three years. But the idea is that person has family members, friends they interact with that are going to, and if you leave a good enough impression, the guy who did my home loan, I referred six people to him and he did my home loan in September. So, you know, he did my refi in September. If you leave that, that if you have integrity and you, and you build a relationship and you leave that, that, um, that lasting impression on someone, um, it'll go a long, long way. You might not see the benefits like, today or tomorrow, but down the road, you're going to sustain sales longer. And then I say the biggest one for last, and I think the biggest one for last is, and I've always wanted to do sales training or some sort of sales training. Yeah. My biggest thing is recognizing who your customer is. Hmm. Every customer falls into four categories of how they buy. How they sell might be completely different than how they buy, but how they buy there, you have your customers that are dominant, meaning that and they're straight, that means they're straight to the point. Boom, 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 boom. Like, I want this. I know what I want. Don't give me any fluff. I don't want to hear any yada, yada. So recognizing who your customers, who your customers are, you have your dominance, you have your, your influential chatty folks like that, like to talk a lot like me. And like, like to, and they care about what everybody thinks or, you know, they, and they want input from their friends and they want to know, you know, what it looks like in their driveway, stuff like that. Right. They want to know what everybody else is doing so that they can do the same thing. Then your conscious, your conscientious buyers are the ones that are very um, calculated. They have the stats. They want to make sure that everything, they look at every Amazon review for the <clears throat> Q-tips they're going to buy. Like, I mean, it, to, the, to the granular detail, 
Mm-hmm. And then your S, this is disk sales model. Your S customers are steady. They don't like anything out of the norm. And if, if they went with you that first time, if you can gain their, their trust, they're going to go with you the next time and the next time because they know you and they're comfortable with you. So that is the model that I followed. And everybody has a different acronym for it. Everybody has a different path for it. But if you get really good at recognizing it, and then the second part is knowing what kind of seller you are mm-hmm. so that you can sometimes become a chameleon, that is what has brought me the most success from car sales on is <clears throat> when you focus on that, and sometimes you forget about it. Sometimes you got to bring yourself back to it because I know I had a sales call this week that was horrible. Like I, I literally, I was... I rushed into it and I didn't, I didn't stop and go, what kind of character is this? Sometimes you forget, but you always got to ask yourself and try and pick up, even when you first meet someone, based on their mannerisms, based on what they say to you and how they act, you can always pick up this guy's an I or this girl's a D or an S. And, and from there, if you know your customer, you will, I'm telling you, you have like a 60, 70% more of a chance of selling them something that day. Yeah. Then, then if you're just spraying and praying, that that I would say is probably the biggest. That can take someone who's not talented in sales and make them decent in sales. Like mm-hmm. I know tons of people who I sold cars with that I would sit there and I would be like, "How have you sold one thing?" Like they didn't have the best word track, they didn't have the best way of like explaining things, but the fact of the matter was they took that training on how to recognize who their customers were to heart and they pointed to the details that most appealed to that specific type of customer and they were able to be average or a little bit above average as sales. Shoot, Spence. All right. Out here giving out master classes. I wish, dude. That's my dream job, dude, is sales training. Like, if I can do, if I can go, if I can be, like, someone that goes around and provides solutions. And it's funny because we've had companies come in and do it for us. And I've always been like, man, I would love to learn a sales model and then go into companies and then teach sales best practices, do professional development on sales. Like, I would love to do that. Yeah. We're going to talk. We're going to talk. Yeah. 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 We're going to talk about that. I like talking. You know what I mean? Because I think that, I mean, again, like, like I mentioned, you have been somebody that I definitely know is, is killing the sales is learning. You know, I've seen you active in sales in so many different avenues and areas. I know we joke about it with the, with the, uh, uh, timeshares and the survey enterprise, but still, but like, these are all aspects and elements that, along the way you're picking up more and more experience and lessons and knowledge that will package the way that you can teach someone else and and help another person who's brand new to it or trying to get to that next level or unable to close or what have you like i would imagine that you can pull any experience or any story and be like oh yeah i may not have a direct experience but i have a relatable experience that's like i learned here or what i wish i would have done better Here's how I can help you get to the next level too. And you're a good job. You do a really great job of doing that already. And, and something that I can see you developing into and, you know, leading the next generation in sales and killing the game out here and selling what, what anything and everything 
uh, that yeah. looking to do. So that's dope, man. That's cool. Yeah, man. I love it. I yeah. love it. I love, I like, I've always wanted to be a teacher, but uh, I've always also wanted to, I mean, I've always had a passion for and a knack for sales. So it should be dope to teach sales, you know? Yeah. What the heck? I love it. I love it, man. Um, a subject in college. Yeah. Or, you know, your own online course. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> so as we in the corner and talk a little bit about uh, your just some advice you we can give to the next generation because again I want this platform to be as people are sharing their stories and the lessons that they have they're able to turn right around and then let the next generation know like hey if when you are if you are in this position or you're a senior in college or you're playing your you know your last final season or you're trying to get into the sales game here's some advice I would give to you uh, on top of the, all the advice you've already given through the Celestins and stories that you've had. So I wanted to make sure that we lost some time for you to share that. But another identity that we share, especially is that we're fathers. We have two children, you know, you have two young girls. I got two young boys. Um, and, and, you know, it's just awesome. Just the fact that again, we're married, you know, and we're married. So we can be, they, no, then they can get married and we can be like real family. We could do that. Maybe. Your kids would have to move down here, though. Mm. My daughters aren't moving away. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> how has fatherhood been for you, man? What are some of the lessons? You know, we talk about fatherhood all the time and the structure and the stories and whatnot, but I just want to hear from you. Like, give me a couple things that you're just like, man, like, here are some things that highlights and lessons I've learned being a father. It's so funny, dude, because people who were fathers or parents before me would tell me things and I hear them in my head and I, I remember people telling me and I remember being like will y'all stop saying this and now I'm that person and be like dude I'm telling you it's 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 difficult or it's this and it's not and it's not even necessarily like all negative things it was like right. I, I can remember a conversation verbatim with this dude that used to sell cars across from me and he told me, dude, I, I have girls, right? He goes, dude, girls are are going to change how you how you are. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, it's hard to explain, but you're just more sentimental hmm. about things. You're you're more like it's it's you're, the way that you respond to things, dude. And it was it's so true. Like I used to be this not like. I used to like not care as much about certain things. And then now it's just like, it's changed me because girls are so emotional and like, you can even see it at that age. They're just so like impressionable. And they, I could just see how they look to me as, as a father. And it's just, it's one of the things that just like, you can't explain or you can't really put it into words the feeling of, of, I don't want to say entitlement, but like the feeling of like, this is my responsibility to make sure that mm -hmm. they get the support from me as a father, that they need to grow up and be confident in who they are and to be ready to take on the world. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's such a, and you look at them and you just look at like their brains like in a way and you can just see them thinking like you can look at them and see them thinking and constantly analyzing and picking up things like you see it right before your eyes like i guarantee you tomorrow 
Theo gets up and he's looking, he's eating breakfast and you can look at him and you can see him processing. Oh yeah. Like you can see his computer going. And I just think that is the coolest thing. Like sometimes I'll be a weirdo and I'll just stare at Cece. Yeah. Or like five minutes and just be like, I see everything happening. And, and like, and I can just see it's crazy. It's crazy. It's hard to explain, but if you're, if you're, if you're a father, if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've had these moments where you've seen them doing something and you've just stopped and, and you've just stared at them for, and you just like, you just, and, and, you know, amazed. So, and it, and it comes with its difficulties too. You know, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, um, it just, it's a, such a hard transition from going from having, like making time to do all the things that you just want to do hmm. to being like, or from not having to make time. Like I just, if I wanted to go do this, I want to go do this. If I want to work out or if I want to do whatever X, Y, Z, I could just do it to like, I've got this finite window of I need to get this, 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 this done because they're asleep or they're, they're occupied or they're wherever. Mm-hmm. And as a unit, <laughs> as a unit, sometimes you're just like, what are we doing? <laughs> or, you know, you're just like, what is going on? Like, why are we, what? And you just look at a unit. Like I'm talking going, getting in the car to go somewhere and getting ready in the morning. If someone filmed that, it would be a comedy <laughs> slash sci-fi horror show because it's just like, we're arguing. It's someone's fault because we're late and it's your fault. And, and it's not where their shoes and they're never each pair, each shoe is never in the same room. <laughs> it's always one shoe under the couch, in the couch, on the bed, on the change table, in one room, one room. I'm like, I I kid you not, I've not found two pairs of shoes together in my house. Like it's always one somewhere, one somewhere. And 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 the kids know exactly where they're at. Where are your shoes at? Oh. And they just walk right over to here where each individual shoe is. After you've exhausted yourself and frustrated yourself. Um, you're sweating. It's not even hot, but you're sweating, just trying to get out the house. And you got to get coats on. Then you get to the car. If you got two, you're trying to put two in the car. Mm-hmm. You, while you're putting one in the car, the other one is off somewhere, picking flowers or rocks or whatever. And you're and you're chasing that one down, putting it in the car. It's it's a whole different ballgame. I told my wife, I said, they should make an Olympic event oh, no. out of parenting. <laughs> where you where where they film these parents and they're like look at the technique on how this they got this like there's different like things that they're commenting on like i could just see a whole deal being made out of uh, a whole olympic event made out of that but yeah anyway. i've never thought of parenting being an olympic event and now that you say that there are definitely some like that, and that's what I, like I often talk to other parents and stuff like that too, because because I am asking like, okay, how what's your technique here? <laughs> like, what is your technique in getting your family together or doing all these different things and, and parenting yourself? How do you do that? Well, so I appreciate you saying that because that that's a great mental picture now that I have of when it comes to fatherhood. And yeah. uh, this is Cece, right? Yep. Yeah. Say hi, Cece. I can't hear. 
you can't hear because I have my headphones on, but just know that he's saying hi. 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 I can't hear him. I want to hear him. Mm, I don't feel like taking my headphones out, so. But. <laughs> I want to. How about you do the thing? Oh, I'm going to put them in your ear? Okay. Yeah. Just so you can say hi to Ray. Eh. Can you hear him? You got your hair in the way. Hello. Say, say How are you? Can you hear him? Yeah. Hi, CC. Good to see if you. If you can hear him, you should probably respond and say hi. 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 How are you? Good. Good. <laughs> okay, she's gone now. All right, hey, are you guys watching TV still in the front? Um, no, we're tired of TV, right? You're tired of TV? Okay, good. Can you build me a house with your, your tiles? Okay. What advice would you give to the next generation uh, based upon your experience in life that you uh, have gone through. You hear it a lot. You hear people say life is short. You hear people say sometimes that life is long, right? And hard, right? <clears throat> so my advice, and this could even go, this could even apply to two different things is dude, life is short and life is hard. It's long. And what I say that is what I mean by life is short is a lot of times we're so preoccupied about the past and the future that we don't live in the moment mm. that we have right now. That can apply to football. You know, we're so worried about the next party or school or the next play that we're not thinking about the play that's before us right now. Mm. And, and we're not focusing on the play that's before right now. We're not living in the moment. Um, and then those moments pass us by, and all of a sudden it's our senior year and we're graduating. Or all of a sudden our kids are 18 and they're leaving the house, and you're like, man, where did those moments go? Did I really live in those moments? Or was I thinking about work tomorrow? Or was I thinking about, uh, you know, about the next thing? You know what I mean? So that would be my advice for life is short is really live in that moment and focus on that moment on what's going on right in front of your eyes and then my uh, um my advice for life is long is that life has seasons and then life is and then when we say life is long is you know life is it is it can be long in that things happen in seasons you have seasons of your life and a lot of times people will think in a certain season people will think that this is it. Like this is gonna define the whole, my whole life. This is gonna define everything. When really, if you talk to someone who's lived for 60 years, 70 years, this is only a year or two or a pocket of your life that you're in debt. And you think a lot, especially us at our age or even younger, we think that this is everything, hmm. right? But we don't realize that maybe this season of hurt or a season of, pain or season of, 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 of wealth or joy is going to be forever, but it isn't. There's a lot of seasons that are going to happen. You're going to go in and out throughout life. Um, so again, that goes back to my life is short point. Mm -hmm. So it's long and it's short. It's long in the sense that you're gonna, your life is going to be full of different seasons and that one season is not going to define your whole life. But it's, it, it, there's also that point when you are in those different seasons, you really take a moment to, um, 
to uh to to enjoy it and be in that moment. Sorry. Okay, we're good. We live. We live. So spit <laughs> some shout outs, man. I would love for you to plug anything, anything and everything that people get a hold of you, things that you want to promote, shout out to the audience. Where can I find you on the interwebs? Well, you can find me on Instagram at chef underscore Spencer. You can find me on Facebook at um, Spencer Britton. Spelled with an S, S-P and S-E-R, not C-E-R. My mom had to make it difficult. Um, and, you know, that's pretty much runs the gamut of social media. I mean, I'm on Snapchat, but I don't really get on it that much. I don't really get on Twitter, as me and Ray talked about before we started the call. Um, I just never could. I have one for work, but that's just about it. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's where you can find me, mostly on Instagram um, and, uh, and Facebook. I like to use Facebook for a lot of like inspirational posts and uplifting things. And, and Instagram is my playground where I watch memes <laughs> like, like crazy. I love to laugh. So I just will watch them until I'm numb. So yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. I definitely promote, promote uh, your Facebook and Instagram in the show notes and let folks know where they can find you. Um, but you know, beyond. Should I give my address too? If you it's want four to, six, oh no. Okay. Yeah, and your phone number, uh, social security, all that. Oh, the social. I'm gonna put that in the notes. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. Yep, cool. to your bank account. So uh yeah, man. <laughs> Transferring money. Transfer you money, take out the money. I am so grateful for our friendship. Uh like yeah, like we shared before, it's been over ten years of us being friends. Uh connected okay. in the field and to now to where we're just seeing our families grow, seeing our lives grow. Um, so it's been amazing just to be a part of this journey with you. And so that that's first and foremost what I appreciate. But I also appreciate you taking the time tonight uh, out of our busy family schedules to sit down to share your story and provide some great lessons and great ex uh, experience for the listeners uh, who definitely I know will take some things away of how they can set their today up for a better future. So Spence, man, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. Thank appreciate you. it. I'm glad to be a part of it, and uh, and, and yeah, dude, I, I it's crazy when you think back 12 years, 11, 12 years, I think. I think since we were 18, right? Yeah, yeah. 12 years. So, and uh, I was, we were friends back in the Ray Ray days. So you know, <laughs> oh Ray, hey, how you doing? Yeah, we were friends back in those days. So, uh, I mean, it's just crazy to see how far we've come. Now we're both family men, and and we got kids, and I think that that's one of the greatest parts about our our, our friendship now, you know, because Mike and Mikey and Bubba don't necessarily are not at that stage yet. Mm -hmm. So it's cool to kind of have have a brother that's uh, that's uh, going through the same stages as I am. Your kids are close in age to mine as well, so pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty cool. Yeah, man. So Spence, thanks again, man, for being on the mic, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to On the Mic with Ray White. And before you leave, I got a few asks for you. First, connect with me on social media and let me know what your thoughts are on this episode. You can find me on my personal page at Ray Devante on all social accounts and this podcast at OTM Podcast on Instagram. Next, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your favorite listening device. Make sure that you go ahead and find On the Mic with Ray White on Stitcher google play 
Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and make sure that you let me know that you're listening. And finally, share this episode with a friend. Take the time to send them a link or tag them on your social media platforms and start the conversation around them, around the reflective topics and the questions on this episode. Thanks so much. And don't forget to share your story with others. Peace.